welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Was that a decent welcome, Aaron? That was, that was, a, that was an exciting welcome. I feel super welcome. I'm coming <laughs> and taking my pants off, just sitting in my underwear now. That's how welcome oh. I feel. Oh, man. And I, I did only not do that with my dearest friends. I, I did not intend to make you that welcome, nor am I sure I want to be one of your dearest friends. <laughs> but we are together again to record yet another episode of, uh, of the Pirate Monk podcast. I, my favorite part of the week is doing this on Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, we've got, we've got this great technology, the same technology that we use in virtual meetings for the Samson Society, where I can actually see your face. We got good audio. We're recording this thing. It's almost like like I'm sitting in the shed with you out there in San Luis Obispo, California, or that, that a Tascadero. Yeah, that would be, that would be a tight conversation. I would yeah. definitely have my pants on for that. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, we we episode uh, we episoded we episoded a pirate monk show on Monday. <laughs> Uh, which will be the interview portion of this episode. Yeah, that threw off all of Monday and Tuesday. I was so confused yesterday as to what day it was. So, evidently, our Wednesday time is just key for me knowing what day of the week all the other days are. <laughs> I get that. I really do. I I, uh, I actually kind of mark my day by the guy I walk with in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'll go. You know, I'll wake up and go. Oh. Yeah, it's Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and that means it's Monday, you know. So, uh, all right. Well, how's it going out there? Uh, I, I have to ask the, you know, the obligatory weather question. You're still frying out there, broiling in the heat. Any relief? Uh, any uh, and precipitation? Yeah, yeah. No, no precipitation, of course not. But, no, it's been good. Uh, strangely, it was 85 at our house yesterday, and mm-hmm. then, Abby and I decided uh, she wanted to do some writing because she is a prolific 12-year-old writer. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go do some work on my laptop. You can write. And so we went into Pass Robles to mm-hmm. sit at a pub and write. And it was 115. It was, oh! 30, it was 30 degrees hotter 12 minutes from my house. How's that oh. even possible? Uh, so anyways, that's just the weirdness of our geographical situation here but i gotta say i i want to brag on one of my kids can i do that okay yeah because you you get one of your kids on the show today all right okay so young elijah uh who is 11 has been working on the base a little bit uh he's Mm -hmm. been using a program called musician which by the way listeners if your kids are into music this is a free app. Well, you only get like 40 minutes at a time. If you buy it, you get unlimited. But it has piano, ukulele, guitar, bass, and it's like a game. It's kind of like Guitar Hero where you have to play along with things and the microphone on the phone or the tablet listens and scores you. Were they the right notes? Was it in time? Oh. So he had, he had done a little of that, but he didn't know what the notes on the bass were, anything like that. And uh, two weeks ago at church, Uh, everybody was on vacation. And so I just played by myself. And then this last Sunday, almost everybody was unavailable again. And so I thought, I don't want to be by myself. I've got a drummer. So I was trying to find a bass player. And I finally said on Saturday, Hey, Elijah, if, if we work on a couple songs, do you want to play bass? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Okay. I'll do it. So we worked on one song 
And uh, so I said, well, tomorrow maybe you'll just play that song and one other one we can work out. He shows up to rehearsal on Sunday morning and figures out like the notes connect with him so that he just starts reading these songs in different keys. He's getting the concept of the sharps and the flats. He's right in the pocket with the groove. Then I start telling him like, well, on the chorus, I want you to hold it out like this. And I kind of sing him the rhythm I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. He remembered every one of those sections of every song. All Did he really? He had some rock grooves going with like two finger, like with the kick. I I have never worked with an adult on their first morning doing worship that picked up and retained information like that as fast as he did. And I'd look over at him while he was playing and he did it even during the service when people were watching and he was nervous, still nailed it all. And every once in a while, he'd just get this little grin on his face. And I'm like, Uh oh. He's enjoying grooving along with a full drum set right now. That's what that's what that grin is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like so fun. This is only the second kid I had Caleb play some ukulele and guitar at some wineries with me on a few songs. But I got to say, there's just not a lot of things more fun than playing music with your kids. Wow. And how old is Elijah? 11 years old. Oh, man. Talk about by the time he gets to junior high youth group, he's a, he's going to be a desired member of that youth pastor's worship team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the ladies love the guitar players, too. So, Oh, the bass players do get all the girls and have all the fights. That's just the way it works. <laughs> awesome. So, good times. Everything else going good in your world oh yeah it's fine life is uh, settled back into a familiar rhythm i i do miss ireland uh and uh, yeah i especially miss that wonderful summer irish weather now that we're down here in tennessee in the summertime but it's good <laughs> to be home good to be with my wife good to be reconnecting with my friends you know i did i took a couple weeks out of my routine where i wasn't uh seeing the same guys uh, every week, I wasn't didn't have the discipline of those and the opportunity of those daily conversations. Uh, you know, frankly, I managed to maintain my balance, but it was good to get back. Really good to get back. Nice. Well, I want to move on. We have two sections uh, that we need to get to today. And okay. The first one's going to relate to the upcoming retreat slash intensive slash forty eight hours of frankness ish. Yeah, yeah. What in the world does all that mean? Well, you're not going to know unless you stick around here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right, I'll bring us back in so I can ask you about it. Okay. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right, we've got a retreat coming up, a time for guys to get together physically and hang out, especially for you virtual meeting guys. This would be an ideal time for your whole virtual group to decide to get headed over to Tennessee in November. This is going to be a little different. You just had a planning meeting on Saturday, Nate. What did you guys come up with? What do people need to know? Well, you know, it was a a big surprise. It was not what I anticipated. Uh, This is not what I uh, envisioned or would have planned. But when we got the team together and prayed out of that uh, discussion uh, came this idea. 11 years ago, 
we did a weekend here in Franklin uh, called 48 Hours of Frankness. The idea was we were going to take the attendees all the way through the seven stages of the path in 48 hours. And we did that uh, with a, a story. Uh, we introduced some characters and then we followed the characters as they, uh, to use the uh, terminology of the weekend, went around the mountain and went through the stages of the path. And it was, it was a really good experience. Uh, I, you didn't, were you out here for that first one, Aaron? Nope. I heard about it. Uh, yeah. You guys talked about it and, but nope, I didn't get to attend. There was yeah. just 12 of you, right? Oh, no, 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 no. The first time we did it, we, we had, uh, at the last minute, it, looks like the, it looked like there were only going to be 12 of us. Uh, but the problem was we'd made reservations for 50 at the camp where we were going to do it. So we put up uh, an announcement on the primitive website we had at the time. And we had 66 guys. Guys came from 16 states. And afterwards, uh, the guy said, man, I'd love to take this back and do it at home, do it for my guys. So we gave the weekend away, the, the story, uh, the exercises, the materials. And uh, in the 11 years since, that weekend's been run more than 100 times. Uh, at least a couple thousand guys have been through it. Uh, 200 of those guys were uh, in California on a weekend we, we yeah. did at your invitation. That was fun. Yeah, that was a challenge doing that many guys. <laughs> it was a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the uh, this last Saturday, a fellow said, well, uh, you know, 48 Hours of Frankness was great. Some guys have been through it through the weekend multiple times. Uh, I'd love to know where the story goes from there. What does recovery look like 10, 10 years down the road? Or, uh, you know, what's the next step in recovery? And so we decided that we will, as part of this weekend, it won't be the whole weekend, but it'll be the greater part of Saturday. We're going to do another 48 hours. We're going to uh, become reacquainted with our key characters. And we're going to take another look at, uh, at our lives we're going to invite God in in new ways. It's going to be, I think, a great experience. Now, for the benefit of those of our listeners who have never attended a 48 Hours of Frankness, what I thought we would do, Aaron, is just play the first section of the first part of the story, uh, just so that you can meet the characters. Okay. Uh, let's listen to that right now. I'll put it up. Here we go. All right, so that runs. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I have ever heard that audio. I'm glad you dug that up. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that gave a glimpse into what this is about for our listeners. Yeah. But this 48 hours is a little different. Uh, straight 48 hours just goes through the story. There are no speakers. There's no extra stuff. It's just the story and the exercises. So we're going to spend Saturday doing some of those exercises, which are fantastic, by the way. I think I don't know how many 48 hours I have been a part of leading and done the same exercises, and they mean something different every time. So it's going to be fantastic. But we also have some speakers. Uh, we're going to do a live Pirate Monk podcast again like we did last time. 
Yeah, Jeff Schulte's coming back. Man, he tore it up on Friday night last year. Uh, so Jeff Schulte from Tin Man will be back on Friday night. Yeah. And then we might have some special breakout workshops that people can choose different topics or things they want to delve a little deeper into with some special guest uh, teachers. Yeah. yeah so there's, yeah. there's going to be a lot. But is there going to be any fun time as well? I mean, I like just getting to hang out with people. Yeah, we'll do – we will uh, – one of the main cr- – critiques we got uh you know guys loved the weekend last year but when we asked for how it could be improved i was surprised at uh how many guys wished that there was more to do and there was a little less free time we really cut people loose for most of the afternoon and i think some guys they they, they'd come to get some shit done and uh so this one will be a little tighter it's not going to be as breakneck busy as a 48 hours of frankness intensive is but it will be more compacted with shit that's right (laughs) exactly uh i just don't even know where to follow up my own comment there you gave me nothing with exactly but okay so it'll be busy and uh hopefully you'll walk away really feeling like you understand yourself and the guys you're with that much better i i want to encourage your whole Samson group to come for this reason. And and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Nate, you started the Samson society and it was all right. Uh, Guys were there, guys were trying to work on it, but it was Mm -hmm. not until you spent a weekend together purposefully in honest conversations that Samson became what it became. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if your group is kind of struggling, you don't feel like you're at the intimacy level or haven't, haven't broken through this is the spot for your guys to be hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. All All right. So that's November two through four. Uh, Watch for it on the website. We'll get that registration page up as quickly as we can. Well, let's move on to this exciting interview that we had on Monday where uh, we get to meet your daughter for the first time on the pirate monk podcast and hear a little bit about your adventures in Ireland. All right, and maybe before before we go uh, before we go to that, should we, you know, play one of her songs or something? You know what? Let's play a song before and after the interview. So this here is a cut from Miss Kristen Larkin here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
cigars of the years it's become You never knew me, now I was there in the same room Right next to you, you looked right through me Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm so excited. This is only the second time I've had a Larkin woman on this show and <laughs> Nate in the hot seat. <laughs> Mom's on this? Yeah, she was years ago. We did the alley episode. Okay. We, we yeah. made Nate sit in the corner while we talked about him. It was nice. <laughs> she really loves doing fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. So we've got Kristen Larkin in the room, which we were talking about you for months on the show as Nate was trying to wrap his head around whether or not he should be terrified or excited yeah. or what he should feel about the trip. So you've gone on the trip, you've come back, and yeah. where do we even start with this? Well, It took some work for me to get her to come back, uh, let's begin with. This girl fell in love with Ireland. I did, oh. I did. I kind of feel like we should have done Ireland second because when we got to Ireland, I didn't want to leave, so it was time to go to England, and um, I kind of... Uh, didn't want to go to England, <laughs> but, but I'm glad that I did. I'm glad we did. But yeah, Ireland was amazing. It, it felt like, like, and if, if there is like such a thing as like memories in our DNA, I definitely feel like it. I felt it when, when we were there. Now for the listeners who know Nate so intimately, but don't know you, uh, I'm just curious for you to say how you think you're like your dad and in what ways are you totally different than your dad? Oh wow! Okay, what a great question. Well, I'm definitely, definitely have a tendency to avoid conflict. Um, <laughs> that, that would be on the like your dad side. Yes, of the like yes, like my dad. <laughs> um, so I have in my life definitely been maybe a little less than truthful with people about what I really want and what I'm really thinking um, in order to make people happy, um, and have actually wound up creating situations. Um, but at the same time, I'm a really good peacemaker and I'm a really good diplomat. And so I can kind of create peace where there is turmoil. So there's a strength in that too. Um, I'm usually good at getting, um, argumentative, otherwise, uh, difficult people to like me. Um, and, uh, and kind of, kind of, I can negotiate some waters that other people kind of have a hard time doing because I don't always have to be right. I can kind of concede, um, for the sake of peace. Um, I love reading. We both love to read. We're both very intellectual. Um, I feel like he's got more focus than I do. Like I can tend to, I get focused on things that I'm interested in, but when my interest starts to wane, that's when kind of my focus starts to wane too. So 
uh, I can be really good at starting things with enthusiasm, but then um, sometimes they tend to trail off once things stop being quite so interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not as different as you think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that I've, in ways that were different, I think I, I take a slower approach to detail, um, and to, to parts of my life. Um, which is why I think that, uh, we were talking about this on the trip actually about how he's, you know, for him, you know, you go into his space and everything's pretty clear and organized and, um, you know, he doesn't like a lot of clutter around and you know, I kind of struggle with that. So, you know, come into my space. I'm more like my mom and things can kind of be everywhere in piles because I like to take my time going through it. I'm a little more um, purposeful, but then that also winds up being that things build up to where they are a little bit harder to manage. So, but you know, I mean, it's has its ups and downs. I'm sure I, I usually know where things are. Mm-hmm. How about artistically? Yeah. Um, Artistically, we're both really good with words. So I'm definitely a wordsmith um, yeah, when no it comes doubt. to writing. Um, so he's called himself a wordsmith before. And then I've had people call me a wordsmith uh, because I have a way I can, I can, I know how to phrase things to where maybe other people wouldn't know how to say something. I can say it. So in that way I can kind of be a proxy for people. Um, and I've done that in my songwriting a lot. Um, through writing about my experiences and giving words to them, people will say, oh my gosh, I never knew how to say that, but that's exactly how I feel. So we have that in common creatively. So do you have any songs that you would say, these were the words I needed to find about my relationship with my dad? Ooh. That's a good question. She's written about a lot of boyfriends, but I haven't, I, I don't think I've been on the receiving end. But yet. all her boyfriends were just a search for daddy. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if. Um, Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to write songs about each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to hear that. Well, I will tell you, you've got to tell tomorrow when I put it <laughs> up. Uh, but if you send me any of your songs that you want to be up, we'll make sure that our listeners get to hear you doing your thing oh, by having yeah, that be the that. song after this segment. So this whole walk thing was your idea, or at least the conversation was your idea. Mm-hmm. So how did that start for you? When did you start thinking, I want to have this, this conversation with my dad? Well, it actually, it actually started with the desire to go to Ireland. Um, oh. Because he had gone on a walking trip with my brother and some guys. They'd actually gone to England and they'd done this village walking thing uh, where they walked from village to village. And I wanted to go to that, but they told me I couldn't because it was a <laughs> pissed me off man um, and i held that grudge i held that grudge for a while sure. and we were, we male were, privilege causes damage people i know and i remember seeing the pictures and they were gone as oh and all these experiences these stories they had coming back and i was like f you like that's that's not <laughs> um so we were actually on his porch talking uh i had i had a show in town that night i just dropped the kids off with with their dad 
and I'd stopped in to say hi and, you know, brought a four pack of Guinness cans with me and we sat on the porch and had a couple of beers and somehow that came up and maybe it was the Guinness we were drinking or, but we, we somehow we started talking about that trip that he took with the boys and I had talked again about how unfair it was. And then he was like, well, maybe we just need to do it, you and me. And I was like, yes, yes, we do. Um, and then we got to thinking about how we could possibly make that work because financially um, things weren't really awesome for either one of us. And I think it was, it wasn't, was it on the porch that I thought maybe we need to write a book? Yeah. Yeah. That night we said, okay, well, you know, we'll pay for it by writing a book. Yeah. And, and was, we'll help people in the process because we're, yeah, because we've got it all together. <laughs> we can we could show everybody what a what a healthy family system looks like after yeah, you know all, all kinds of dysfunction. Yeah. Yes, um, and I know I was inspired by that idea by the book Eat, Pray, Love, which Elizabeth Gilbert pretty much comes to the same conclusion, where she goes through you know a horrific divorce and then you know and then a really bad another really bad breakup and has just kind of lost herself and she thinks that she she needs to take a trip to find herself again and decides to fund it by writing a book. And I was like, maybe we can do that. Um, and so we decided to give it a shot. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But then you had this, you send me this email the next morning where you go, maybe this isn't going to be as simple as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started, I started thinking about, you know, everything that, that we were going to be doing and talking about and, I think I did some journaling or something that just brought up some real anger and some sort of realization that we don't really have it together. <laughs> like we love each other and, you know, we certainly uh, grateful for each other, but we have, there's a lot of this stuff that we haven't worked through at all. And if we're going to be honest, then we have to really do the work. So was that in that moment, was it more of a desire to understand what was going on with your dad or to get a chance to say some things that in your peacemaking you had shoved down? Both. I'd say it was, it was both. I wanted to, I wanted to have peace um, between he and I um, in my heart. Um, and I wanted to understand maybe more about it. Cause I don't think I had realized how much of it I had taken on myself. Um, you know, and it, and even on the trip, there was, there was, you know, one time where he and my mom got into an argument or not even an argument, I would call it, but she was very angry with him over a conversation that we were trying to have. And all of a sudden I recognized that pattern and realized that all of the, the, the conflict in our family, I had sort of taken responsibility for because as a peacemaker, that's what I do. I take responsibility for people's turmoil around me and I, I internalize it and I try to make it better. So I think I, I wanted to, I didn't realize that's what I wanted to stop doing, but um, I was dealing with a, a whole lot of anxiety and depression and just sort of not being able to really get anything done in my own life because I didn't know. Um, I didn't know how to really be firmly rooted in myself. So by sort of, accessing this time with my dad and telling him some of the things that I was feeling and also seeing where he was coming from, I could sort of release myself of the responsibility of his addiction. So what were some of the questions as you were preparing to go that, that you were most curious to understand about him or that time in your life? Um, 
That's a hard one. Um, because I didn't, I know that I had said in the letter to him that I was going to ask some hard questions, but I didn't really know yet what those questions were. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was about finding the questions, um, which, which really turned into, um, understanding where he came from as a child. Um, you know, what wounds happened to him that, caused him to turn to his addiction in a way to try and to try and cover it up, to try and fill it up, to use it almost as a coping mechanism, um, which is what we do uh, so that I could kind of better understand why he was the way he was um, and, you know, why he disappeared as much as he did. Um, Yeah. I'd say that's all right. So you guys jump on the plane you're excited. What's the percentage of excited slash nervous slash any other emotions going on? Yeah, slash exhausted. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had to find the cheapest way over there because we were working. You know, we were paying. We were fronting this thing ourselves, and so so that um, Sevilar, that twenty four dollars Sevilar raft from Big Five wasn't <laughs> didn't end up being worth it. <laughs> you know, but it, but it began with an early morning flight out of Nashville to Boston. And then a late night flight out of Boston, overnight flight to Dublin. So we had a full day in uh, the, the, the Boston environs. We went to Walden Pond mm-hmm. and it was closed. It was closed. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we knocked around Boston, and, you know, and then, you know, late, late that night, got on a flight to Dublin. You don't get a lot of sleep on a six hour red eye. No. Uh, and then we get we get to Dublin, and we're there too early to check into the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, we're fumbling through the city, and we're trying at this point to start to have conversations, and we're both just so damn tired. Yeah. And I, I got, I got, I, I discovered that when I'm exhausted and, you know, and then with all of the time and stuff, I was, I was super cranky by the time we got to Dublin. Yeah. And so I, I was, I didn't really want to. So we just wound up um, uh, drinking. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot, but yeah, we went. We it was Father's Day. Yeah. So we were like, you know, it was like this whole thing. Well, do we go take a nap? And it's like, screw it, no, let's stay up. Well, well, the the hotel was we couldn't even get checked into Trinity. Right, 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 right. right. Um, so we went and we found a pub and had a couple of Guinness and talked with some locals and then had another Guinness, but I, th- I got halfway through the second Guinness before I was like, this is not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I left half my second Guinness. I was like, I know I'm in Ireland and yeah. Wait, what, what time is this? What time right. is this there? Was it like noon? Yeah. So yeah, it was noon. To, we couldn't check in until two. So it's around yeah. noon, noonish. Yeah. We're at, we're, but it was six hours. So it's noon their time, but it's 6 PM our time. Yeah. Biologic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, and I had pulled in. So in Dublin, it was probably what, like 55 degrees and rainy. And I was still wearing shorts and a t-shirt yeah. from Boston. Yeah. Um, so I had to change. Um, yeah. So change I, I, really have, bathroom. <laughs> I have to ask, how was that first Guinness in Ireland? I tasted just like the Guinness at McCreary's Irish Pub in downtown Franklin. I know. I was all, really surprised. All this hype about how it's so much different and so much better in Dublin. So we must have a 
damn good Irish pub. I think we do. I think because yeah. I took one sip and I was like ready for this life-changing sip of this Guinness <laughs> I never had. And I was like, McCreary's. Yeah. That tastes like McCreary's. Yeah. And um, which I love McCreary's Guinness, you know, I get yeah, that there. Sure. I mean, I poured it for years. I know how to, you know, do that. So, but yeah, that was surprising. I mean, it was definitely nice to be in Ireland and in the pub and surrounded by yeah, you know, and they knew Irish how to folk. and they knew how to pour a Guinness. Well, yeah, well, so like you do it, like you do McCurry's, but yeah. any place else around here, you order Guinness and they all well, they in one about bowl. It. Yeah, oh, it's pointless awful. to try and even right. And they don't they don't have the right nitro mix, and it just isn't silky. Mm-hmm. It isn't right. It's mm-hmm. right at McCurry's. Yeah, and there you order if you order a, a Guinness, you're going to wait for it. Yeah, uh, they don't do a three pour. They do a two. They pour. do it. Yep, that's that because I had learned to do it a three pour. Yeah. But then, um, and no there, they do the two and no shamrock on top. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was good. I and feel like they were fine. They were. And it was great talking to the people. They were just so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit all of this out because I want to keep the mystique. I want everybody to go with high expectations. <laughs> you just screwed all that up. Uh, all right. So, day, day <laughs> one. Life changing, let me tell you. It you was haven't con- had. Guinness. It, it was completely Did different. Had a Guinness in Dublin. It was completely different from the Guinness at Buffalo Wild Wings. Let's put oh, it that way. Definitely. Yes. There you go. So go to Ireland, go to McCreary's. Either way, McCreary's is probably a cheaper flight. So, <laughs> uh, so day one, obviously, you guys are tired. This is not going to be yeah. a deep day, yeah. but just the fact that you thought it would be meant you had pretty high expectations of this trip. Nate, you talked about how you had your acute attendant uh, Achilles. Yeah, yeah. Achilles tendonitis, right. So I'm yeah. hobbling around the city. Yep. Our plans for the, for the hike uh, are diminishing in yeah. likelihood. I still hold out hope that we're going to be able to hike, but by the time we make it out to, to the western end of the island, it's pretty clear I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to hike. Yeah. No, and, and – it was it was cool though to see that happen and to see that like it's really cool when you're traveling with somebody who has the same temperament as you because we both were able to just be like well at least we're in Ireland you know <laughs> so we don't have to go by this plan that we made we can change the plan right. and we're still going to have an awesome time and it, the trip is going to be what it needs to be and there wasn't really any negative projection around us not being able to hike at all from either one of us no i don't think so i don't think so which was cool because i've, I've traveled with people that are very stick to a certain plan and oh, very yeah. high anxiety and that can be yeah that can be challenging so we were both able to just kind of adapt roll with it yeah yeah now did you start chronologically with your conversation no, it came in pieces. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, in the first, even before we got on the plane to Dublin, we got, uh, we had a couple hours in the pub uh, waiting for our flight to depart from Boston Logan Airport. And, uh, and I told Kristen about meeting her mom and falling in love mm-hmm. and what it was like in those, you know, those early years. Yeah. And her, her quirkiness that yeah. she still has. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, a lot of backstory there that we had. I don't know that Mm -hmm. I've ever told you those stories. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I was actually wondering that because in our circles or our conversations, you've talked a lot about your childhood, about your dad, about your mom, about Allie. And I was wondering if you've had that many conversations with your kids about those things. 
Yeah. It, you know, probably not. I mean, I've had much more conversation. You know, my kids were up and gone by the time I got into recovery and in a place where I was going to have, you know, extended conversations, honest conversations with other adults. So, uh, you know, I see a lot more of you than I do of, of my kids actually here. And that's a little bit sad, but, uh, yeah, I feel like I need to apologize, but I'm not sure why. Then why didn't I get to have a ticket on this trip? Come on. That's horrible. Uh, Okay, so you're telling the stories, you're hearing some of these things for the first time, and does that start to form or inform the questions that you were going to ask? Yeah, I mean, it definitely dialogue feeds dialogue as well as circumstance, and so as, you know, with every conversation, and then we'd go experience something else, and the wheels would turn, and, you know, that would lead to more more conversation. Um, So, you know, him talking about my mom and you know, falling in love with her and what that was like, you know, also led to, you know, maybe what it was like to, for me to live with uh, her personality style and his personality style growing up and what that felt like for me as a child. Um, And I don't think my dad realized how much anxiety I carried. I had no idea. (laughs) Because I was really good at hiding it. You know, Kristen was, Kristen wanted to appease and please me. Um, she took responsibility in a way that I didn't, uh, um, I, uh, Kristen knew how to perform and conform to make me proud and happy of her, mm-hmm. uh, proud of her and happy. Yeah. And, uh, and I bought the act completely. I had no idea the depth. I had no idea the anxiety she was carrying, how hard she was working to put that smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then I, I was mystified by her change of behavior later on when she began to get more honest with herself and, <laughs> and began to assert her own desires. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got a chance to talk through that stuff. And I, you know, she, uh, we talked more about my life. I told more stories. And then I asked her for details mm-hmm. about, you know, what the hell was going on when you were in your late teens? And what was that first marriage really like? Mm-hmm. And um, it was great to, uh, for her to kind of open the door on those years for me. Yeah. So give me, give me a timeline picture here. When you entered into this world of your addiction on that Christmas Eve, yeah. How old was Kristen or was she even born? Oh, no, no. She was born. Are you kidding? No, that would have been, that would have been, uh, 1985. She would have been six years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So probably and not. It was just about the time when she started having terrible stomach problems and digestion problems. And, uh, it actually got to the point where it was almost life threatening. We took her to a doctor. You was lost I, so much was weight. Was I that young? I thought it was three or four. But, oh, yeah, I guess that was earlier that you had. That was right after we moved to Florida. Yeah. You I mean, I've always had stomach problems, but I think the stomach problems yeah. started when I, right after we moved to Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, so she's the girl who would, yeah, you'd have trouble eating. You'd get a lot of stomach cramped, but you put on a smile. Mm-hmm. And um, I had no idea that she was actually picking up 
as well as she was on the tension in the house. Because Allie and I, we didn't want to fight in front of the kids. And we very seldom, you know, really argued in front of the kids. We tried to do that behind. Yeah. But any kind of an empath, and Kristen is the definition of an empath, can pick up on the tension in the room. Yeah, and I didn't even know what I was picking up on. Yeah. So I wasn't consciously picking up on it. I wasn't consciously saying, oh, mom and dad are fighting, but they're just not showing me. I just was picking up on tension and not understanding at all what it meant, where it was coming from. As far as I was concerned, it was coming from me. Right, right. Right. Because I was feeling it. Right. So I didn't know I was an empath. I didn't know I was picking up on this stuff. I just knew that I was feeling it. It took me probably to my 30s before I even understood what my um, empath tendencies meant and what it felt like to feel somebody else's energies as opposed to my own. Right. And distinguish the difference. And distinguish the difference. That's the key thing. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know the difference. I thought it was my own stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which made me even more anxious. Uh, and then you pair that with uh, an intensely you know, religious upbringing in a very dysfunctional church and you get, you know, yeah, you get very, you get very, very heightened levels of anxiety. That was, that was another subject that we talked a lot about was Kristen's uh, religious upbringing or spiritual upbringing. And so she and I have wound up at uh, different places somewhat spiritually, mm -hmm. uh, but we can see and understand uh, each other. And I think, I think we're moving actually toward each other. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we were able to have those conversations w without either one of us being threatened mm -hmm. or feeling like we had to convert the other one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, out of fear. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had to talk him out of Christianity and he didn't feel like he had to save me from going to hell. <laughs> so, all right. I'm, I'm picking the story back up. You guys have so many things in your head. You're bouncing all over the place. Yeah. For us linear listeners today, let yeah. me go back. You were six or seven. You're in the first or second grade when this shift happens in your dad. So you probably don't remember a ton before that. This is the childhood you remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so as you are hearing stories of the path that your dad went down, what pieces did you put together from your childhood and say, oh, I was aware of that or I, I see that through a different lens or more clearly? Definitely a sense of anxiety and doom, um, a sense that something just wasn't right. And then a lot of guilt associated with that too. So then I'd feel that way and then I'd be like, well, I have it so good. You know, we're the perfect family. We're the Larkins. What, why do I feel this way? I must be making this all up in my head. And so, and with putting all of that together, there was also a sense of a relief of a, I'm, I'm actually not crazy. Oh, when you found out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I definitely, I was picking up on stuff, and then it was just this feeling. I remember fantasizing about them divorcing and wishing that they would just split up because, and then I'd be like, why am I thinking that? Like, I know kids whose parents are divorced. Everybody wants their parents to be together. Why would I possibly want my parents to split up? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and so it was very confusing. Mm. And we did talk about, like, some specific scenes. There was a time that I asked her specifically about, uh, I was, quote, working late, mm -hmm. which I did a lot, usually to go uh, look at porn at the office. But on this particular night, I wasn't looking at porn. I had been asked by a young lady to help her uh, write her resume. And uh, I knew that Allie wouldn't approve of me uh, being alone in the office with a single young lady. 
So uh, without thinking about it, I did what I automatically did in those days was I just created a fiction, a lie, said I had to go work on a report. And I went to the office and uh, Allie was home with Kristen and one of Kristen's friends was staying over. Yeah, I don't remember which friend it was. And Allie said, you know what, let's poor dad down there working. What? He loves donuts. Let's get him some donuts and take him to the office and go see him. So there's a knock on the door. I come out of my, I see these, I see these, I see these girls out and I open the door a crack enough to get, take the donuts, but I won't let them in the door. I'm panic stricken. And then the young lady comes around the corner with a big smile and says, hi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Allie gets this stricken look on her face and, uh, and the girls leave. Uh, Allie's conclusion certainly was that there was, uh, you know, I was having some kind of an emotional affair, if not a physical affair with the girl, which is not the case. I was just trying to be a hero. Um, but I had lied to be there and Kristen got to see me, uh, in that lie right in the middle of it and to see its effect on her mother. And uh, what did that feel like? I felt like an idiot. I wasn't mad at you. I felt like an idiot. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told you that. Yeah, so. Why, why did you feel like an idiot? Because there I was standing with a box of donuts that I thought was going to make my dad happy, and it just made everything worse. Mm. So you were very aware of the weirdness in that moment. Yes, very. <laughs> yeah, very. How old were you? 12-ish, maybe. Yeah. I feel like I was old enough to understand. Mm-hmm. 12, 13, right? Yeah. 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 So preteen, early teen. I was, I was young. Yeah. You're old enough to understand that there was something not right about that. Mm-hmm. I've only known your dad after recovery. I'm tr- I was trying to remember how many years... So I remember you were just about to start. You had just started the Samson Society. You were working on the book. Yeah. I, th- I want to say you were like a decade into recovery. No, not even that. So it would have been 2005, 2006. I got into recovery in 1998. So I was maybe seven. Seven years. Seven, Actually, eight years. Yeah. yeah, that was the number that I thought. Because yeah. I remember feeling uncomfortable with you starting to go talk about it. But. In my mind, I was like, I don't know how many years feels like that would be a safe. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember us sitting on the porch with Allie maybe two times ago when I was there. And mm-hmm. one of you brought out the photo albums. I still feel really bad about what a big deal I made of that one picture. I don't know if you remember it. Tell me you don't remember that moment. Oh, good. I, I, can, I, I can let it go now. Okay, uh, good. So he pulls out, Kristen, this picture of you guys on vacation it felt like it was maybe at disneyland or something like that and you all were super happy you were young everyone's like we're at disneyland and then here's nate with this hollow horrible look on his face like i didn't even recognize the person in the picture wow and uh it was shocking enough that i then made a really big deal about it and then went to bed thinking that was a real asshole move, but it was shocking. I was super shocked. 
So how over the years, I mean, you grew up with that guy. Yeah. And he wasn't uh, always that guy though. I think what's made it confusing, if I can interject, and I asked you about this last week, she also got to see St. Nate, public Nate. Right. The guy with the bright and shiny exterior, uh, super Christian guy. And she got to see him a lot. She got to hear him preach. She got to see him in front of the church. She got to see him lead the Christian school. And I asked her, what's it like to be in the room with that guy that everybody loves and admires? And then to get in the car and go home to this other guy right. who doesn't pay nearly as much attention to you as he does to the crowd. Yeah. And what, how does that make you feel? I mean, it, I thought it was me. Yeah. Just like, you know, I mean, internalize. Um, I don't know if I was even conscious of the difference. Mm-hmm. I remember really? we, called you, we called you the phantom. <laughs> yeah. So he was there, he was there, and then he was gone. Poof. It was kind of a joke. Called you the phantom. Yeah. I, I think for the listeners, for dads in particular, I don't know how this is for moms. Um, as I've talked, I interviewed children of pastors and children of missionaries for over a decade. Every, every one that I met, I insist they sat down for like 15 minutes. It was about 50-50 split between those who thought it was a great thing and those who thought it was a horrible thing. And the ones that felt like it was a horrible thing, that's a super common story that they could no longer handle that the person they saw their dad or parents in front of people as was not the one that came home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your dad's talked a lot about the masks and roles that he wore. And obviously in that picture, the mask slipped. I mean, that yeah. was, that was showed yeah. a lot of the internal feelings, yeah. but you saying that you weren't aware of the difference. It, it's because he wouldn't, it's not like he would become somebody different. It's not like he was ever mean right? or abusive. He was just gone. Yeah. Okay. So it was like, now you see him, now you don't. Um, So it wasn't like he was two different people. He was either there or he wasn't there. So he's also talked a lot about how during active addiction, he would figure out ways to shift the attention to your mom so that it was her fault, not his fault. How aware of you were, how aware were you of that? Um, I mean, I definitely didn't know he was doing that. Um, you know, my mom's a complicated person, uh, and you know, she isn't a saint either. And I think that she would agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she definitely, uh, took on some of that. He shifted that to her. And then some of it was just their dynamic was partly her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of loaded. Uh, I didn't know that he was, he, he talked about it later about how he, he, uh, he, he shifted that, but, um, I certainly didn't pick up on that as a kid. When he first told you, how did that change how you saw your mom during those years? Oh, it made me had a lot more compassion for her for sure. Um, and kind of, uh, definitely feel for her and what she had to, to go through to, you know, be married to somebody that was in active addiction and then taking on um, a lot of the blame where it, you know, wasn't hers to take on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely made me empathize with her. 
So what were the most important parts for both of you that you walked away and said, this was the part I would not give up for anything of those conversations? For me, it made my dad more human. Mm. And so I kind of, I think my whole life kind of had him on this pedestal, even after addiction came out and through his recovery and everything is still kind of up there. And, um, and it sort of, it brought, brought, brought him down to my level to where I feel like we're now, we're, we're more, we're closer to each other and we're on even ground. And for me, uh, I got to see, wait, hold on. Before you say, I gotta, I gotta ask, cause that's scary for parents. Even if you don't want to be on a pedestal to be humanized, because mm-hmm. for a lot of parents, they feel like to be more human is going to be, you're going to become less than you were. Hmm. So the humanized version of your dad that you walked away with, either there's not a less than, there could be a more than, or it's a completely different category that has nothing to do with less than or more than. Uh, Yeah, I think that it's the third. Uh, It's not about being less than or more than. It's about being what it is. It's about being authentic. And in order to have authentic relationship and authentic bond, you have to authentically be yourself. And so for me to see him as who he is, is actually empowering to both of us. Maybe he doesn't get to keep shiny persona, but he gets something real. And I think that, I mean, as a parent, that's what I want with my kids. Um, And then I'm less likely to fall off a pedestal. So if he's not on a pedestal, then he can't be knocked down off of it. So it's really, I think that anytime we step into authenticity, we're really empowering ourselves. So that fear of vulnerability is probably misplaced since it makes less of a risk as the pedestal is lowered. It does. And it can be really scary to look at it. Um, Definitely intimidating. But I think that a lot of things in life that are actually good for us and empowering for us, um, fear is a big factor in us not getting there because it's unknown. It's like that old saying. I remember when I was going through my own recovery process after my second divorce uh, and learning how to have you know, learning how to have healthy boundaries uh, and learning how to do it was so scary because I didn't know how to do it. And so uh, they, they told me that, you know, what's healthy is going to feel unhealthy for a little while um, because you've got it mixed up. So you have to actually do it a number of times and, and change the tapes in your head. And the more you do it, the less scared it'll become and the less hard it will be. Uh, and then eventually you'll be able to see what is healthy and it'll feel healthy, but it's going to feel unnatural at first. Uh, So I I feel like it's like that. Okay. All right, Nate, go ahead. Well, yeah, I think, you know, for me, the great uh, gift of the trip was I've always uh, known that Kristen is, you know, has uh, depth of understanding she stunned me as a teenager when she began to write songs uh, and the the depth and complexity of the lyrics and the sentiment she was able to express. And I remember being kind of mystified. Where is this coming from? She's 16. She's seven. What? Um, this trip really helped me to appreciate more than I ever have how deeply she feels, uh, how, um, uh, fully she experiences life. Uh, when it gets difficult, I tend to skate over experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kristen doesn't skate well. Um, she 
she uh, sucks the marrow out of life, as they say. She, she thinks about it and lives it and experiences it and critiques it uh, in, in, in ways that makes life for her richer than the way I tend to live life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes her a good artist. It makes her a, a good mother. It makes her a good friend. Um, and I hadn't fully appreciated really how, how deep she is until we started on these conversations. Nice. Well, what do you recommend for uh, fathers and daughters? How do they get to the place where they can uh, do this without having to go through all that you both did? Oh, gee, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that there's one prescription for every family. I don't think there is. I think the, the most important thing probably would be to release any expectations of what it looks like because it doesn't look like the same thing for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. what it looks like for us, it isn't necessarily going to look like for other people. So it's just kind of about releasing expectation and being open and willing to listen and share and move toward each other. I think yeah. you do have to get out of defensiveness and blame. Absolutely. Uh, get out of any, uh, any idea that you have to enforce your, you got to force the other person to accept your narrative. Mm hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, when Kristen was little uh, and Daniel was little, I sold a narrative about our family. We are the greatest family in the world. <laughs> we're fun. We're happy. We're together. Um, and to question that narrative feels disloyal yeah. to her child. Yeah. I think if I wanted to, I could still try to enforce that narrative and insist on its truth. Uh, it's better to let go of our view of experience, be, be open to other people's perspective on the life we've lived together. And that opens up, I think, new possibilities for the life going forward. Hmm. So how, this will be the last question on this. Do you have any recommendations on how people can cultivate that kind of openness without expectations if they have younger kids? How do you walk this consistently? Let yourself get down from the pedestal. I tell my kids all the time if I slip up and I, and I yell because I do, um, or if they're just being really, really, really difficult, I remind them I'm just a human being. Mm-hmm. Like I have, I have a hard time with this and this is why. And I share with them exactly what I'm feeling and what I'm struggling with, not to give them responsibility to fix it, but to let them know, like, I'm just a person. Yeah. And right now I need your help or right now I'm just struggling. Um, And right now I just, I just need a minute. And they actually respond really well to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, you know, we have a responsibility as parents, especially parents of young children, to provide safety and structure. Uh, But we don't have to be Stalin to do that. And we don't have to be uh, uh, Mother Teresa or some paragon of virtue that can Mm -hmm. never be questioned Mm -hmm. to do that. And, uh, you know, whatever we can do to encourage dialogue and openness and also to let kids feel what they feel 
without, listen to them. You listen to them without having to fix it or argue with it. If they're going to be sad, you know, give them space to talk about why they're sad, but let them be sad. Yeah. Let them be angry. Um, you know, and just kind of give them space to be who they are and feel the way they feel. Yeah. And a lesson from your life should teach all parents that complex emotions like anxiety that we think, oh, it's a very adult thing that comes from the working world, that it's not an adult thing. It's a human thing. And mm-hmm. little humans have some pretty amazingly complex emotions going on that we need to understand if we're going to parent them well in that place. Mm. Absolutely. What did you need to hear when you were younger? What would have helped you? Um, uh, it would have, it would have helped me to know that nothing was as big of a deal as I thought it was in my head. Um, I took myself very seriously. I took religion very seriously. Uh, I took everything so seriously. I thought it was like, it was like life or death. So I think what I really could have used was somebody to just tell me, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. It's not your problem. It's not the end of the world. Um, and everything's relative. Um, because for me, I was just, I was really scared that, that it would blow up at any time and it would all be my fault. Well, thank you guys for sharing. I'm sure everyone was excited after all the buildup to, to get a little glimpse into this walk that was a drive and more of a pub crawl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're working We're working on the book. The book's going to be good. It's going to be a fun read. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love going back over the trip, talking about it, going through our notes. Uh, and uh, yeah, it'll be an entertaining travelogue, a lot more detailed than we're going to get, than we can get just in a Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be it'll be funny and deep and right. you know all of those things. And there's something for everybody in this book, so yeah. make sure to check it out. <laughs> so I'm going to get a song from Miss Kristen to put on, and I'm going to get a picture from one of you to put uh, up on Podbean, so that when you look up this podcast, you can see a picture of them in Ireland doing something. I I don't know what the picture is going to hold, but it's going to be amazing. So here we go. Song from Kristen, and we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. When I was a young child with ringlets of gold My mama would unwind every story I told And if there was truth missing that one she'd see Say, baby, I'll know When you're lying to me As I grew older I 
podcast that was pretty fun watching you and Kristen together on the screen (laughs) (laughs) she's my girl yeah so so how was it for you being being a part of that conversation I know when we had Allie on years ago we didn't give you a microphone and you just (laughs) listen (laughs) so you got to, to interject on this how was it it was great it was great uh, I so love and admire my daughter and uh, love to be in conversation with her. She's even fun to argue with. See, I, I got to tell you, the, the strangest part was how much she and you both talked about her being the peacemaker and doing what, it, because honestly, in my conversations with her, she's been very pugnacious, not, not mean at all, but she's been very real and upfront and like. That is, that's part of her recovery. She has had to to find herself and step away from that. Uh, it's good to be a peacemaker, unless you have to hide and lie, hide and lie to do it. Mm. Uh, and you know what? She sacrificed herself and denied her own thoughts and feelings for a very long time, paid a high price for it, and uh, and now she can be relied on. It's it's almost like she's a new girl. Uh, she can be, she, she more and more knows her own mind and has the ability to, to speak it and to call her mother and me out on some of our stuff. Well, she'll always be your girl, but this version of Kristen Larkin that I've come to know and enjoy is just a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope the listeners enjoyed that. Uh, if they have any questions, you just have to save those and read the book. So, yeah. <laughs> We would love to hear from you, though. How can they get a hold of us and ask their questions and give us their thoughts? Yeah, sure. Please shoot us an email at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. 
So remember to check out the retreat and get signed up as soon as that information shows up on the Pirate Monk website, which give them, give them that address. Oh, no, well. no, no. It's the SampsonSociety.org or SampsonSociety.com website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Until next week, then. I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Pirate.